Welcome to the first episode of Do We Like Star Wars? Uh, my name is Angel, and I'm your host. <laughs> Misa Javi. Misa Love Angel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you, didn't, if you didn't already get it from the new introduction, this is a special episode of our show because this is the beginning of our Star Wars series where we go through all the... Uh, chapters in the star wars saga one by one as you guys know we will not only be reviewing the main uh the main stories but we're also going to be reviewing the side stories including Ro- uh, rogue one and solo uh movies that will not be included in this series are going to be uh the star wars christmas special damn it i was really <laughs> looking forward to that and uh, the Clone Wars film. I really wanted a Wookiee Christmas. Or whatever non-denominational holiday the Wookiee race um, celebrates. And also in honor of the Wookiee race, we want to give a huge shout out. Um, and, you know, extend our condolences to the family of the original actor that played Chewbacca. Peter Mayhew. Thank you, because I, I, I totally blanked on his name. <laughs> but seriously, yeah. thank you, Peter. You were a great, like, just addition to our childhood. I don't I don't think anyone has ever tried not to do your voice. And, you know, try to you brought a lot of joy to us as a big walking carpet. And you will be missed, and thank you. Now, before we really get into our review of this movie, I wanted to put a disclaimer out there, because I understand that's that this series, Star Wars itself, has a very feverish fan base that is uh, very, cons- that, you know, they have various concerns about how their, you know, their love for these things are portrayed, uh, these films. And, um, again, I am someone who has discovered the films at a later point in my life, even though I've seen all of them as, you know, a young person. Um but I do not know everything that there is to know about Star Wars. I am not a lifelong fan. I did not collect any action figures. I have not read any of the extended universe. I need you to understand that in terms of the actual world of Star Wars, I'm about as casual a fan as you can get. Um, so we are reviewing this as we would review almost any other film. Yeah, we're pretty filthy casuals when it comes to the Star Wars lore and the Star Wars universe. So we're coming at it from a very unbiased lens in that sense, much like our Endgame review, where we're coming at it in a way where we're going to, you know, we're going to we're gonna hold this movie accountable, we're going to talk about its faults, we're going to talk about what it does good, and, what, you know, the what it contributes to the overall saga that is the Star Wars space opera. I figured it'd be important for us to start here, but uh, what's your first experience with the Star Wars franchise? My first experience is, I must have been like, I want to say eight years old, nine years old, eight years old probably. Uh, Christmas, this was like the year, two, no, 1999, however long it was. But my sister got me a VHS copy of New Hope. And I was like, oh cool, Star Wars. I've never seen these movies. I had no idea what Star Wars was. 
And I was like, this movie looks kind of old. I'm probably not going to like it. And then my sister was like, no, you're going to like it. Trust me. She puts it on. And we watch it, and I'm immediately blown away. And I was like, this story's amazing. And I watched it repeatedly over and over and over again until that tape finally gave out when I was maybe like 11 years old or something like that. I loved A New Hope. You know, the first Star Wars movie was just like, it just felt perfect. It felt like the right story to tell, right? And then uh, the next movie I saw was probably when I was 10 years old. The very next Star Wars movie I saw was Return of the Jedi. So I was like, so I had no idea what the order of even the original trilogy Mm -hmm. was supposed to be. My sister never really told me that. So I watched Return of the Jedi, and I was like, oh, cool, Luke is back. He's wearing all black. This is kind of weird. And I was like, so I had no real context to what was going on. Um, So, you know, I had no, I didn't see uh, Empire Strikes Back at this point. So uh, all I know is like, Han Solo is in Frozen? Why? Wait, why? Who's this, who's this, you know, who's this guy, Colt 45 guy? Why is he here? Oh, God, I'm so confused. Why does Luke have a robot hand? You know, like, you know, there's a lot of things missing for me. But ultimately, I got the happy ending. You know, I got to see the good guys win in A New Hope and in Return of the Jedi. So I, the first time I saw Empire Strikes Back, it was kind of like that moment, like, oh, crap. I missed a very integral part of the Star Wars story. So this was all took place during my preteen years. Um, by that point, by the time I saw Empire Strikes Back, I was already pretty familiar with the Star Wars lore and the franchise, because by that point, uh, Phantom Menace actually came out. So, Phantom Menace was the first chance I ever got to see a Star Wars movie in theaters. I'm probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, for most folks, uh, our age, it was, that was probably their first chance watching a Star Wars movie in, in the theaters. Um, so... Yeah, for my for me personally, like I didn't get to see these movies in order the the order they were intended, um, but definitely started off with the New Hope and just the way that film was done and the the way the story's told, definitely got me hooked into the into the saga, you know. So, what about you? What was your experience watching Star Wars? So, my experience with the Star Wars franchise is <clears throat> I've actually watched them in. The order that, for the longest time, I call it the George Lucas order, but really the order that for the longest time, all the marketing made it seem like that's the order you were supposed to watch it in, uh-huh. and that's I started with episode one, The Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. in theaters in 99, right? Okay. Um, I wanted to go see that movie, and I didn't know anything about Star Wars then, I, except the fact that I saw the toy commercials on television. And I knew who Darth Vader was because he's just an icon in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and my understanding of this movie, because all the commercials kept telling me, is that this movie was about Anakin Skywalker, and Anakin Skywalker is going to grow up to become Darth Vader. And because they were calling it Episode One, I figured that this was going to be the beginning and probably a good starting point for me to get into this franchise. Boy, were you wrong. <laughs> Well, I dragged my entire family to the movies for this, and, you know, normally we would pick movies that all of us could enjoy, and, I don't know, on the outside it seemed like a movie that everyone could enjoy, because, oh, there's Jar Jar, and he's kind of goofy, and, uh, you know, very very much like a Disney kind of sidekick character. Of mm-hmm. course my sister's gonna like it, 
who was three years younger than me. Oh, cool. You know, it's got Liam Neeson in it. My parents will probably like it. Uh, and we went in to the movie. Everyone in my family, with the exception of me, fell asleep during that film. <laughs> and to this day, like, I still remember that as being the only movie I dragged my family to that they just could not get through because they were so insanely bored by it. It's hard being a Hispanic nerd, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard being the Hispanic nerd that wants to bring your family to watch nerd movies. Well, I, th- I just don't think that there's a lot of people, at least that I grew up around, that really had any genuine interest in this. Uh... I also can't say that I was the biggest fan of the Star Wars franchise anyway. Like, I mean, I really wanted to watch this movie for some reason, and I watched it. And I never gave a second thought about, like, any other movie in the franchise mm-hmm. until a few years later, Episode 2 was coming out. Mm-hmm. And Episode 2 I saw with one of my cousins who could greater explain to me some of these, you know, intricacies of the Star Wars saga. And uh, so we watched that. And then episode three, I finally watched, much like Tokyo Drift, I watched it when I was on vacation in El Salvador. (laughs) It was in English, but with Spanish subtitles. Everything goes back to Tokyo Drift on this podcast. (laughs) It is like the end-all, be-all of all our shows. Um, And, you know, once I got older, Mm. uh, you know, over 18... That's when I finally figured that I was going to watch the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. So I went back and I watched the original three. Um, I loved A New Hope. I had already been familiar with A New Hope just because of pop culture. Like mm-hmm. I had seen so many uh, shows, you know, cartoons do parodies of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're a huge Simpsons fan. You can't not get any of the original trilogy references and, and watch The Simpsons. Yeah, you know? The Simpsons did it. Uh, Family Guy did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Animaniacs did it. That's right. Which I was also watching. <laughs> um, and uh, when Empire, when I finally decided to watch Empire, I knew that this was the Godfather 2 middle dark chapter of the Star Wars saga. Mm-hmm. And I'd say maybe even to this day as we're starting the series... Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. And it's funny because I and New Hope will still be my favorite. And I think that's because it's the first one I saw. And because I watched the original trilogy not in the intended order. That's why I, I think, you know, the little kid in me still hates Empire Strikes Back because it's the one where the good guys lost, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. But I did want to go back to something you mentioned, how you saying that you didn't really grow up with anyone that didn't. Or you didn't really grow up with anyone that did enjoy those types of movies. Like, I think in that sense, I was really lucky because my sister was very much a child of the 80s. She grew up, like, loving cumbias and loving Michael Bolton and, like, just 80s music and shit. But she was a big reason as to why I even watched the Star Wars movies. Like, I can tell you my parents hate... Well, it's not that they hate it. It's just my dad kind of likes those movies, but my mom doesn't care. My sister and her husband at the time were the ones that took me to all those movies. And they were the ones that, like, I grew up watching these movies because of them, you know. So they're a big, per- they're a big part of my fandom for the Star Wars series. That being said, again, I'm a fan of the series. Not nearly as intense of fans as other people. Mm-hmm. Those folks that have the commitment to read all these side stories and extra books and learn... Ooh. All this extra stuff, good, you know, more power to him. 
Yeah. And um, where would you say that your excitement level is for episode nine? Uh, episode nine, Rise of the Skywalker. That's what that's the subtitle, right? The Rise of Skywalker. Rise yeah. of Skywalker. Um, right now, what are what are we? May We're about to be. This is the episode that comes out for May the fourth. I'm at a. If we go on a very simple scale, as we tend to do here at Do We Like Movies, I'm gonna make the scale hype, lukewarm hype. And then no hype at all. <laughs> I'm definitely in the lukewarm hype right now. Like I'm kind of like I'm kind of excited for it. The like the new trailer drop. Um, we talked about it earlier. How cool it was. Like Ray takes down a Tie Fighter. What looked like a Tie Fighter with a lightsaber that was baller. Um, but yeah, like this always happens with Star Wars movies with me. Is that. You know, ever since Force Awakens happens, or took, you know, ever since that came out, there's been a Star Wars movie what's felt like at least once a year for the last three years. So I'm starting to get a little fatigued. I'm starting to get a little bit of that Marvel fatigue we, you and I talked about earlier. Uh, well, off, you know, off the podcast. I'm starting to get that fatigue, and I'm just like, eh. But I'm sure once October rolls around, and I'm sure once we really start chugging along with this series, with uh, Do We Like Star Wars, I'm, my hype is probably going to go pretty high. So, But as of right now, I'm like, eh. We'll see. What about you? How, are you? how hype are you for this? I'd have to say that I'm tempering my expectations. Okay. Uh, I thought that the last movie in this series, Last Jedi was a very high point in the series. <laughs> oh my god. Um and I'm very well aware that originally Ryan Johnson was going to do the second like the second and third uh Star Wars movies in this franchise and then at one point it switched from Ryan Johnson doing both to Colin Trevorrow from Jurassic World uh doing the doing the third one. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it is JJ Abrams coming back. I have concerns with J.J. J. Abrams coming back because I feel like Force Awakens, which I still enjoy, but I find to be less entertaining than Last Jedi, uh, I feel like they're going to try to reverse course on some of the decisions that were made in Last Jedi because of the fan reaction to it. Like ignoring the Knights of Ren? <laughs> Will well, we finally get the Knights of Ren? Who knows? I okay. I'll be honest here, and I'll say this right here in this episode. Okay. I feel like one of the things that this new movie could do that I'm act- that will absolutely turn me against it is if Ray is revealed to be a Skywalker. Oh my God! I will literally walk into space and call it a life. <laughs> I will go back to my home planet, which needs me now. So, I, I again, I am tempering my expectations, but much like you, I'm very excited to do this series. We had this series in mind from the moment we decided to launch a movie podcast. We knew that we couldn't do a movie podcast without reviewing one of the Star Wars movies, and we knew we couldn't do one of the Star Wars movies without doing the entire fucking saga. So here we are, ladies and gents. And this is going to be an experimental series for us, you know? 
in, in so far, we have done one-offs for horror sequels or just sequels in general, like our Tokyo Drift episode, our Halloween 2018, Exorcist 2. You know, we pick these random movies that are either, you know, that are smack dab somewhere in the middle of these franchises. And this will be the first time that we are walking through a franchise in a chronological order. Mm -hmm. I put that in air quotes. Yeah, because it's not really chronological. Yeah. <laughs> and also, if anyone ever want, like, you know, if anyone wants a little peek behind the curtain, there's no reason why Angel and I picked those movies, those one-off for the sequels. We it literally was us just feeling like reviewing that movie. Like it's literally Angel like calling me and being like, "Hey, I really want to review Tokyo Drift because I like that movie." Or we'll be hanging out and be like. Hey, we're watching The Exorcist. You know what would be fun? Let's review Exorcist 2 because it sucked balls. <laughs> and, like, yeah, there's no rhyme or reason why we picked those sequels without reviewing the, the prequels or the previous movies. But if a uh, response to these episodes is very big, then there's a chance that we could look at doing other series in the future. Mm -hmm. so, so, without further ado, let's get our movie scalpels out and start cutting this bad boy wide ass open. So, we are going to dissect the Phantom Menage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so every single time that I've tried to text you about this movie, whether it be like on Instagram or just like through text message on your phone, Autocorrect has kept changing Phantom Menace to the Phantom Menage. <laughs> so <laughs> I now cannot even, like, I was writing my notes in front of you just now and yeah. I typed Phantom Menage into a Word document. Watch, you're gonna upload this episode and it's gonna be the Phantom <laughs> Menage. <laughs> and also, we mean Menage as in Menage a trois. Don't be like me and assume he meant Nicki Menage. <laughs> So, this film opens up with the classic Star Wars, you know, intro crawl that's pretty much telling us the story. So, we get introduced to the big bads of this film, which are the Trade Federation. Which, before we really kind of get into it, um, the iconic Star Wars theme uh, mm -hmm. done by John Williams, who is also famous for doing the, uh, the scores for Jurassic Park. Christopher Reeve's Superman movie, Jaws, um, you know, like, he has just been one of the main guys in terms of music and film in Hollywood. He did the theme song for Sunday Night Football, even. That's crazy. <laughs> now, it is wild to think about that one man gave you the music of essentially what could be called your childhood. <laughs> and your, like, sports fandom and just all at once, you know? It's, uh, it's really... It's wild to me that this guy did so many, like, like, he did the scores for so many varying kinds of movies, you know? The fact that he did a superhero movie. He did with Jaws, which is technically a horror movie, if you would consider it. I don't know, I think that's up to debate, depending on fans. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's iconic. It, you can't think of Star Wars without thinking of this amazing-ass soundtrack. So like I was saying, we get introduced to the Trade Federation, which my understanding is the Trade Federation is a like conglomerate of various trading companies uh, that essentially want full control of all trade and commerce within the Galactic Empire. No, I'm sorry, Galactic Republic. 
It is not the Empire yet. No. So the Galactic Republic, for some reason, the the is given the Trade Federation like representation within the Council and within like the within the within the Republic, and they've. Want, like the Trade Federation wanting to seize more control actually starts setting up embargoes and blockades on uh, on these uh, Republic planets. And for some reason, for reasons I'm still not sure about, uh, the Trade Federation has de- decided to put a blockade on the planet of Naboo, which is a peaceful planet led by Queen Amidala. Yeah. Who's played by Natalie Portman in this film. So, a couple things here. One of them is, I I struggled when I saw this a couple years ago. And I hadn't seen the movie in so many years before that. Mm -hmm. I struggled to figure out exactly why this republic has both senators and kings and queens. It's weird. (laughs) This movie really delves into the politics this, of Star Wars. This prequel trilogy really dives into the into politics. Like it feels like you're watching board meetings or councils for one third of this entire trilogy. <laughs> and holy shit, it feels like board meetings and councils for uh, like it is about as fun as actually sitting in on these sons of bitches in real life it is the c-span of space operas and it's yeah (laughs) oh my god so for some reason the uh crap who was it the supreme chancellor valorum he feels that he needs Jedi intervention to be able to facilitate uh, negotiations between Naboo and the Trade Federation. So the Jedi's are an army in this. So this is weird because the Jedi's role in the universe is that they're peacekeepers. They're essentially space cops. Green Lanterns, if you will. Captain Marvel in Endgame. (laughs) Okay, calm it down there. (laughs) But that's essentially their role, right? Is that if something is messed up in a planet, the Jedi Council has to decide whether they... uh, They're like the National Guard for space. uh, Yeah, well, I I think the more appropriate one is like the UN peacekeeping, like the task forces, right? So the the, um, Jedi Council has to approve whether... Uh, like a, any given situation demands like a Jedi response. The thing is, the Jedi are supposed to be apolitical. They're not supposed to ha- be, have any involvement, and they're and they're not supposed to be involved in like political combat or anything. Uh, any like these wars, right? Mm-hmm. However, it really feels like our main characters, our heroes, Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan Kenobi, are like. Now nah, we're gonna fuck shit up. <laughs> so the so the um, chancellor ends up sending Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan Kenobi, our two Jedi knights, played by Liam Neeson and uh, Ewan McGregor, respectively. Yes. So, by the way, Qui Gon Jinn or Liam Neeson, he's either really tall or Ewan McGregor's really short. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely weird. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I've never really thought of Liam Neeson as being a guy who's shot as if he's really tall anyway. Mm-hmm. So it could just be that Ewan is just that short. I mean, there's a lot of celebrities in Hollywood that are just not that tall. Yeah. Like, I'm actually very surprised how my stature of 5'9", 5'10", but <laughs> like how apparently that actually makes me painfully average in Hollywood. <laughs> So these uh, these two are the ones that are uh, there to facilitate trade, or they're they're there to facilitate negotiations with uh, Viceroy Gun. Oh my God, what's his name? Gunray, Viceroy Gunray, the leader of the Trade Federation. So, fun fact that I learned: the Gunray or Gunray is actually uh, an alien race. Like he's a part of an alien race that's known for their business um their business acumen mm-hmm. and their cutthroat uh policy making and stuff like that let me see if i can find the name of the of the race and so gunray is what's called the a neomodian neomodian and they are notorious businessmen and they are known for cutthroat dealings and their negotiation skills so it's kind of weird to me that an entire race is in charge of the trade federation and that's in cha- in charge of the conglomerate of like commerce and stuff. And that starts a whole lot of trends in this new trilogy that I become very uncomfortable with now as an adult. But yeah, it's just like a little weird observation, right? So the Jedi are set to meet with Viceroy Gunray. And immediately Gunray gets on the horn and we meet our true big bad of the series. Um, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to give the, the, the big turn. I'm pretty sure that will happen later. But as of right now, we're going to call him what, you know, his villain name, Darth Sidious. Or the, or the emperor. Or the emperor. what people are used to saying. If you will. So the emperor reveals himself as being the one pulling the strings behind the, the Trade Federation. He instructs Viceroy Gunray to kill the Jedi and continue his invasion of the planet of Naboo. So they try just that. They try to poison the room that the Jedi are hiding in, and they send a uh, bunch of droid troopers to be there to kind of clean up the mess, right? So they... They open the doors after they've been gassed by what is assumed to be poison gas. And the first th- person to come out is a droid that looks like C-3PO. Like one of those like butler droids. Mm-hmm. And scares our contingent of droid soldiers. And they have this cool shot of suddenly two like blue beams and the recognizable lightsaber like, you know... Uh, activating noise the going off and you see in the haze of like poison smoke you see these lightsabers turn on and then Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan just go ham on these guys uh, also during the meantime all this is happening the the ship carrying these guys uh was actually destroyed by the Trade Federation so they managed to fight off the they managed to fight off the droids they end up in a stalemate with these super droids and what they end up doing is they have they have to escape through the hangar. They end up stealing transport and finding their way down to Naboo. 
Yeah, which Naboo looks a lot like uh, Tatooine does in the original, right? Like, there's 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 similarities in terms of the geography. I feel like Star Wars planets, there's not a giant distinction between all of them. No, Naboo is different from Tatooine. Tatooine is a desert. Naboo oh, is the... Naboo is more like it's the Return swamp? of the Jedi. Yeah. Like the, or like when Luke goes to, to seek out Yoda in Empire, right? That one was Dagobah, if I remember Yeah, correctly. Dagobah. Yeah. yeah. So, fun fact. This is something I learned from my nerdy-ass friend a long time ago. There is a canon story that explains why every planet is its own biome. And that's because exactly that. Every planet was terraformed in a way so that it wouldn't have multiple different um, biomes or different ways. And people would adapt to live that one way. So that's why Tatooine is just all desert. That's why Dagobah is all swamps. That's why um, Naboo is just green prairies and a big-ass ocean, apparently. (laughs) Or how... Right, right, because then, uh, then shortly after that is when our two heroes uh, will meet a character that is infamous <sighs> in the hatred of Star Wars fans. So before I get to how much I hate this character, there's one, there's a couple things I want to talk about. Inconsistencies. One, apparently Jedi's had the power to hold their breath a really fucking long time. Weird. But two, my biggest problem with the previous scene is they send out those cool roly-poly droids. These roly-poly droids that have front shields that you can't shoot at with blasters. And they have mobility because they're able to move around in like a ball form, right? And then, not only that, they end up in a stalemate with Jedi. So these droids are strong enough to find and defend themselves from Jedi. Why not, after this film, just mass produce these roly-poly droids to be able to take on the biggest threat to your attempted usurping of the Galactic Republic? Why do we gotta go? You know what? I don't want to get into it because then I gotta, you know, that'll be talks we go into next time. But I'm just saying, if you have this robot, droids which are stupid and weak and easy to beat for Jedi, but you have this one form of of droids that can defeat Jedi in theory, I I think it's stupid that there's only two of these we see the entire movie. (laughs) So this takes us into the invasion of Naboo. So the Trade Federation drops down a bunch of these tanks and a bunch of droids and they begin just kind of, they're not tearing stuff up. They're just like going through the countryside at a very leisurely pace. Not 100% sure what they're doing other than just tearing woods down and stuff. Woo, sorry, I almost burped in the mic. But um, they're just like tearing down these woods and stuff. And we get introduced... To goddamn Jar Jar Binks. So Jar Jar was one of the most heavily advertised characters coming into this movie. Like, it is what I saw the most of when I was, like, starting to become interested in bringing my family to watch this. (laughs) It was a big selling point for you. Well, it was a big deal, right? Like, this this was one of the first, like, 
all CGI characters. Oh, oh my god! Um, that I'd ever seen in a film before, and I had no idea how much he was going to be used in this film, and just to like the extent that they were going to drive this into the ground. I really thought he would have been just a sidekick character that was there for fun. I never expected him to be a main character in the new trilogy. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that the original plan for George Lucas was that this guy was going to carry he was going to be like he was going to basically be following uh uh Obi-Wan around through this entire new series. He was going to be Chewie to Obi-Wan's Han. Like, I have a feeling that's what they were going for. I'm so disgusted at the thought of that. <laughs> Especially on this day. Oh my god. So, while Jar Jar is just standing in the forest with his fucking thumb up his ass being a fucking moron. Like, we see all this destruction and these animals, like, running away. And he's like, ooh, George R. Biggs, I'm going to stand here and look at all these animals not go the same direction they are. So he has to be saved by Qui-Gon Jinn, which is, to this day, the worst decision made in the entire series. <laughs> you should have let him die, Qui-Gon. Let him die. <laughs> he ends up saving him. And then Jar Jar tells him that he owes him a life debt. And that now he is he he owes his life to Qui Gon and he will serve him in any way. Ugh. Oh my god! So it is at this point that we are reunited with Obi Wan. For some reason, they these guys weren't together. It's not really shown how the Jedi get down to Naboo. It it's just like suddenly they oh yeah they were down there guys. Yeah, I feel like they spent way more time, like, showing what it's going to be like for them to get to where Jar Jar is from. Yeah, like, I think that, yeah, so, they, they, they realize there's this invasion going on, and that there's nowhere that's safe, and there's no fast way for them to get to Queen Amidala. So, then, um, Jar Jar, he actually suggests that they go down to Gunga City, so that they can uh, talk to Boss Nass, who's the leader of the Gungans. And maybe he can help them get to Queen Amidala faster. And maybe even help repel some of these droids. Like the, the, the droid invasion, right? So, they go and they swim down into Gungan City. Um, right off the bat, when we were watching this, like I told you about it. It's very interesting how you... Like the way Gungan City is in these weird, like balls like these weird spheres right all connected to each other somehow but what's terrifying to me and i think the star wars universe is a lot like this is you never see ground or they do a good job of creating these really exotic locations these really weird planets that are just so massively large you know like just to use an example, because in this movie, when they later go to go there to Coruscant, right, which I believe is like the center of the Galactic Empire, I mean uh, Galactic Republic, because that's where like all these senators go and have these meetings. You have like these miles high buildings, and you have these like flowing car areas, and you have like yeah, like you in establishing shots, you rarely see what the ground looks like. That is terrifying to me. And when you're here on Naboo, same thing. When you go down to Gungan City, you do not see 
the 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 ocean floor and all right the gungans is it gungan or gungan uh however i'll go with what you said gungan i have no preference i'm just saying okay (laughs) these characters are gross caribbean stereotypes to me that's the vibe i get yes and that's a big oof and i almost feel like the new uh trilogy of star wars Almost exists as a mea culpa for how <laughs> undertone or just blatantly racist some of these portrayals of non-white characters or non-human characters are. Because at least with the exception of Sam Jackson, I don't see anyone else who is non-white in uh, many of these meetings. And then there's also like these aliens who are non-humans, and I feel like. Star Wars was one of those series that has a habit of portraying a lot of non-human characters as foreigners with strange accents or ways of speaking. It is hard not to think this is done on purpose when you see it happen multiple times. And like, look... I think Angel and I talk about it all the time. And I never want to be the guy to be like, oh, that's offensive. Like, I don't ever want to be the person that reads too much into things. But when you start noticing weird patterns like this and you start noticing these examples that go on, like, it, may, it makes you think, right? It makes you wonder, like, what, what exactly were they going for? And even if it was meant to be harmless and it was meant to be like something of, uh, you know, meant to cause joy or comedy or something, like, it's just in poor taste. Now, mind you, when I was a kid, I probably thought this shit was hilarious. As an adult, I realized, Jesus, mm-hmm. we need to do better. Because yeah. not only is it lazy and boring, it's just, it's, it's just bad. It just hasn't aged well. It is not good writing. No, and it's and it's Watto as well, right? Like Watto yeah, oh is God. also like he is either portrayed as a Bulgarian arms dealer <laughs> or or just like a Jewish shop owner. The best case scenario is he's your stereotypical Bulgarian arms dealer. Your worst case scenario is he's an anti-Semitic caricature of Je- of uh, of Jewish people. Yeah. And what makes it worse is like the way the, what they highlight, like his neck beard and his nose. It's just not a good look. And he owns slaves as well. And then <laughs> he goes on when Qui-Gon Jinn tries to use his, uh, his, his, the Jedi mind trick. He later has the line that your mind trick powers won't work on me. Only money. And I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, again, we don't want to be those people that are get outraged over every little thing. But mm-hmm. we think it's really important that us as viewers question our content and no one is above questioning their content in fact you should be questioning your content all the time including us like us as reviewers and podcasters you know like you know don't be afraid to question what you're watching or what you're listening to Mm -hmm. because yeah sometimes it's it's just not good it's just not a good look so after they leave the gungan city they take a submarine a ship a water ship (laughs) (laughs) a water space submarine ship (laughs) that uh takes him you know to uh 
That takes them to Naboo's the city or the planet. Naboo is the planet. So they're going to Naboo's surface, which I'm not really sure what it's called. Because it feels like Gungan City is like its own separate thing yeah. on Naboo. Right. And there's also like... Um, there's also hints at the fact that there could be some sort of species divide, uh, mm-hmm. between the two, you know, either, both, either humans or Gungans. It's, can, your, your classic, like, Atlantean thing, where it doesn't matter what you're, what you're watching, like, Atlanteans never, like, surface dwellers and vice versa. It's the same thing, like, Boss Nass and the Gungans do not like Queen Amidala and the more humanoid characters. Um, interesting thing though, like the, you can tell the entire underwater scene is just, Hey, look at all this cool CGI we got. Mm -hmm. And all it is is meant to show you all these cool CGI fish monsters that are underwater. And this cool CGI is very much late nineties, not as good as Jurassic Park, the original CGI. No, not at all. This is more like... Mortal Kombat Annihilation CGI. And you know what? I will not stand for you <laughs> disparaging the good name of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> no, I love the original Mortal Kombat movie. It is Mortal Kombat Annihilation that has just CGI that is unforgivably bad. Wait, was Christopher Lambert in uh, in Annihilation? No, it was Dexter's dad. Yeah. Okay, you can talk shit about Annihilation. <laughs> it's the one with Christopher Lambert that I love. Yeah, everyone loves that movie. Yeah. Oh, God. So, uh, they end up with the help of... Um, Jaja. Oh, my God. Jaja. <laughs> Zaza Pajulia. <laughs> Jar Jar Pajulia. <laughs> But with the help of Jar Jar Binks, they manage to get to the cap. Well, I'm I'm assuming is the capital of Naboo. Right. And at the time, the droids have actually overtaken the princess. Um, no, queen. She's the queen. Mm-hmm. They overtake the queen's guard and they take over the 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 palace area. And and this royal thing that occurs. Exists solely to confuse the audience as to who the actual queen uh, is of Naboo. Because there are segments of this movie where Queen Amidala is portrayed by Natalie Portman. And then there's also the other like sections of this film where Natalie Portman is dressed in regular wear. Mm-hmm. And you have, I guess I'd call her the doppelganger queen. Yeah, so that's meant as a... It's like a plot device. Where in order to protect Padme Amidala, the queen of Naboo, they have to set up a decoy that's dressed in her traditional, like, queen's garb. So that if someone's gonna... It, it, I mean, it's like it's like having a body double. She's essentially the body double. So if anyone does, like, kidnap her or kill her, they think she's the queen when Padme is the real queen who's actually walking around like she's one of the handmaids for the queen, right? Mm-hmm. For the real, for the quote-unquote real queen. So our heroes, uh, and Jar Jar, managed to save uh, Padme and save Queen Amidala. Did you notice uh, who the doppelganger Queen Amidala is? I always thought they were just doing a, a twin thing between her and, uh, and um, well, just having Natalie Portman do two roles. Nope. Really? Yeah. Her doppelganger is played by a young Kara Knightley. 
What? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. They do look like each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, too, because in episode two, they also have another handmaiden of hers that is played by another very recognizable actress that we'll get to in the next episode. Ooh, that's a tease. Good job. <laughs> so they managed to save Padme. They managed to save the guard, and, and they end up... In a harrowing escape where they crash through the the Trade Federation's blockade and make it to Coruscant, the capital of the Galactic Republic. But before they're actually able to make it to Coruscant, Amidala's ship takes severe damage, so they have to take a sidetrack. Well, they had they had to fix the hyperdrive, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they gotta get sidetracked and they make an emergency landing down onto Tatooine. Yes. And this is where <laughs> This is where the series starts to do things that I hate, fear that they're going to start doing in the new trilogy again, mm-hmm. which is, this is supposed to feel like it's an entire universe, yet everything feels really small because everything in this universe revolves around one family. Yep. The Skywalkers. Mm-hmm. And this is the portion of the movie where we're going to get introduced to Jake Lloyd, uh, who plays Anakin Skywalker. Oh, I'm sorry. Before that, we actually already got introduced to an existing existing character that wasn't Obi-Wan. We got introduced to R2-D2. Mm-hmm. The lovable little white and blue droid. So he actually managed to save the... to fix enough of the ship... So that they can make their crash landing. Well, not their crash landing, but their emergency landing down on Tatooine. So, I agree with you. I am not a huge fan of this everything needing to be interconnected. Because I feel like the this episodes 1 through 3 do this so much to a fault. Where it actually starts creating plot holes, you know? And then you gotta under, and then you gotta wonder why all these things work out the way they do. So while they're on Tatooine, they meet a young nine-year-old slave by the name of Anakin Skywalker. He is a great pilot, and he's actually kind of a tinkerer because he introduces us to another well-known fan favorite, C-3PO, who he's actually been working on, and he's like a hospitality droid. He is. C-3PO, who's going to be part of the later, greater Star Wars series, is introduced here. Uh, R2-D2 is introduced here. We have lots of characters that are now going to begin existing in this universe. And I guess the impression that you're left is that those two droids will be handed from Anakin to Luke at some point in the future. And it's like, why? (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. Like Angel alluded to earlier... um, Anakin being a slave, him and his mother are actually owned by the Tatooine shop owner, Watto. Mm. Now, again, we, I don't really want to go too much into his portrayal because the only way we can really say is that it's vaguely racist at best. Mm-hmm. You know, offensive at worst. But essentially what he is is that he holds the contract to... Anakin's freedom, and I forget what Anakin's mom's name is. Not important, because she doesn't really come up much in this film. But, you know, he holds the key to their freedom. Mm. Not only that, he owns the only piece, the MacGuffin, if you will, of this film. He owns the only piece that can fix the hyperdrive on Queen Amidala's Imperial ship. Mm. So, now, they have to 
create something. They had to they had to create a bargain, right? Or they had to barter with him. The only thing Qui Gon can do is bet the ship itself. The ship that not even his ship. He's actually betting Padme's ship. So essentially, the the agreement is this: is that Tatooine has apparently these death races called pod races, which don't I didn't see no pods. But they have these pod races that are known for being thrilling and dangerous. If Anakin wins, he not only wins the part that's needed to fix the Imperial ship, he also wins his freedom. We are back in Tokyo Drift territory. This... <laughs> because in Tokyo Drift, you know, the guy buys his freedom from Yakuza Wrath by beating another guy in a race. So in this one someone who has been sold into slavery, is going to buy his own freedom in a race. Are you saying Tokyo Drift ripped off the Phantom Menace? <laughs> I'm just saying that this movie is now starting to do something that's further up my alley than what it's been doing. <laughs> You're like, I'm here. All nine-year-old Anakin needed was to use some Nas and feel it in his balls. <laughs> if, if there was a series of races in this movie... I think I might like episode one a lot better. I would watch an entire movie about pod racing. <laughs> I would watch pod racing, a Star Wars story. <laughs> so, the, the thing is, if Anakin loses, he uh, not only doesn't get his freedom, but Watto wins Padme's ship. So the stakes are high. <laughs> mm -hmm. So right off the bat, we learn that Anakin... As gifted as he is, has never actually won a pod race. But it's okay, because he's plucky and he's nine, and he has something called metachlorians. Angel, would you like to explain what metachlorians are? Metachlorians is the excuse or unsatisfying description oh that they wanted to use to describe the Force. Now, if you're someone who loves and appreciates the original trilogy of Star Wars, one of the nice things about the Force, and even in the new series that is ongoing from Disney, the Force is something that is almost religious or spiritual to mm -hmm. people in this universe. Like, in Rogue One, it's something that, it's like a belief that people have not practiced in a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, in... You know, uh, newer movies like the uh, original trilogy or even the new trilogy, it just becomes something that you feel is all around you, right? It's less mm. of an actual thing that can be quantified and, and measured and more of something that is like soul or heart or something, right? It's space magic and it's fine. You don't need any explanation for it. I mean, if this movie's drawing from, like, the hero's journey, there's a lot of goofy shit that goes into the hero's journey. Right. The and Bible's inspired, like, inspired the, the hero's journey, you know? And midichlorians are essentially some sort of, like, cells or something that are in your body, and it can tell you if you have a sensitivity or if you are destined to become a Jedi. Now, one of the things that I have a problem with this is that what I appreciated the most about A New Hope is that it felt like anybody could be a Jedi. 
it felt like it was something that, you know, it happened to be this guy who ended up having this adventure who'd wanted it for a very long time. Um, and he was able to get taught about something that he could not understand and becomes a bit of a master of it after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's, you know, when Luke is being trained by Obi-Wan and also when Luke is being trained by Yoda in uh, Empire. Like, there is a lot of... There's a lot of learning about the Force that takes place in this series. And this movie decides to just kind of write it off as, you know, okay, it's just these things. We can quantify them. We could probably inject them into somebody's body. And whatever midichlorians are, um, they were something that are apparently flowing all over the inside of Anakin's body. And he was essentially conceived immaculately from midichlorians taking turns running a train on his mom? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Like, the, I think Qui-Gon at one point even says his his father were midichlorians. And I was like, does that mean, if midichlorians are cells, does that mean there's big-ass midichlorians going around just making sweet, sweet love to Tatooine women? You know what? I will... I will admit and understand completely why fans hated this. This takes away a wonderful magic that existed in the original trilogy and all of a sudden went too far in trying to explain it. And I think it's almost like a story device now. Like It's one of those things that's so infamous and awful that it should be a story device. Like, okay, don't you go, like, midichlorians this up. Make sure that you try to come up with a logical, rational, satisfying, uh, you know, reason for what you're doing. This is a tangent, but have you ever heard of what, if uh, George Lucas still had creative control over the Star Wars series, what he would have wanted the new trilogy to be about? He wanted, uh... So what it was was that uh, he wanted to make a movie about what metachlorians are. <laughs> oh no, it gets better. Oh. And he would have followed how pretty much they are a microcosm that are inside Jedi's bodies. Oh. And, and it would have followed what the cells do inside of their bodies. No. And like the world that these that these metachlorians live in. And no. All- <laughs> Osmosis no! Jones. <laughs> yes, this is the first Osmosis Jones reference of like the entirety of our podcast history, and I fucking love it. Osmosis Jones is not something that I ever thought would come up in a podcast episode about so. Star Wars. So congratulations <laughs> to you for for finding a way to force that in. I did it! it! George Lucas forced it in, which is why sometimes creators are the, their own worst enemies. Okay, so another thing that happens here, as they are on Tatooine getting to know Anakin, as Anakin buys his freedom, as Anakin is basically able to earn his freedom in the pod race, there is an awkward, awkward mm. relationship that is blooming between Anakin and Queen Amidala. Now, at this point... Natalie Portman's only a few years uh, removed from Heat, which I watched her in, and she was a teenager. Oh, the movie! Yeah. I thought you meant, like, in Heat. No. (laughs) 
she was in, I was like, women go in heat and then was, don't? She was in the Michael Mann film from 95 yeah. where she plays our, uh, Al Pacino's stepdaughter. Yeah. And uh, she was very young in that movie. So this isn't that many years past that, which is good because... I remember her being as I remember her as being much older in mm. I think it's because out of all the prequels that we talk about the one that I've watched the absolute most is episode 2. Mm-hmm. Like that is just my one of this franchise and I can't fully explain to you why but um but yeah I'm again this is there is some sort of very awkward exchange between her and Anakin. Well, she would be... Technically, Natalie Portman is 16, 17 when they're filming. I forgot the name of Anakin's actor, but he's like 9 or 10. I mean, viewers, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a junior in high school, I wasn't looking at no no fourth graders and was like, yeah... That I'm gonna marry that person one day. <laughs> yeah, and are you an angel? <laughs> oh, little homie, spitting some game. Now, th- this is super weird. When Anakin told her she is she an angel, does that mean angels exist in the Star Wars universe? I don't know. Does that mean that angels are made out of midichlorians? Do they just shoot midichlorian glue? <laughs> I mean, goo at women to impregnate them? I don't know. Gross. Oh, by the way, I found out Anakin's mom's name. It's Shmi. <laughs> they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel for alien-sounding names. <laughs> but yeah, it, you're anyway, not to get too off track and take this podcast off the rails, it is a very uncomfortable relationship that they start blossoming. Especially implying that he's only nine, maybe that she's 18 at the time. So she's like, there's a nine-year difference. And in context for what happens later on in the movies, you're like, ew. Like, they've been in love since he was a kid. A slave boy at that? Well, yeah. I mean, this gets creepier as they get older. So yeah. it's in, And it, unfortunately, even though it gets a little creepier, episode two might be one of my favorite love stories in a film. Oh, uh, the one where, like, Anakin goes almost, like, full... Abusive like, not boyfriend. Not going to say much more than that because we will have a future episode on this. Oh my god! But the awkwardness of this all continues. You know what it <laughs> reminds me of? It totally reminds me, and this is a little different. If you say Twilight, no, 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 oh, no, okay. no, no. It actually reminds me of the recent, um, a burgeoning adult womanhood. Of Arya Stark, yeah. yeah, of Macy Williams as Arya Stark in uh, Game of Thrones, to where you know people can watch her do all manner of things. They can watch her murder people in cold blood, but the moment that she starts having sex, it makes everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> That's unnatural. And there is a lot of sexual tension between Natalie Portman and this nine-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I am looking for an adult to come and try to help me make sense of this. Like, you really want Qui-Gon to be like, hey, stop that. Like, really, like, use his lightsaber to separate him and be like, leave some room for space, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. So, this takes us into the wonderful race scene. Now, I hope you guys are ready because 
this is the most action you're going to see for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> Trust me, I counted. This movie has a terrible pacing problem. Okay, the other thing too is that this movie introduced what I thought was going to be one of the best villains in a Star Wars movie of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is Darth Maul. Oh, shit, how did he skip over him? He's Darth Maul is fucking awesome. Like, his look is great. His lights... I own... My first lightsaber that I ever owned was a Darth Maul lightsaber. Very good choice. It was super awesome. I love the fact that it was... It, again, it, it's the most... When you think about it a little bit, it's kind of one of those things where it was like, this is the extreme version of a lightsaber. This one's got both sides. And, <laughs> and I was like super into it. What you really like are shocked by in this movie is that Darth Maul's not in it a whole lot at all. But when he is, he really like like he's just he just takes your attention between yes. the the look. But he's not Vader. No, and no, I no, think no, it's no. He's Vader, Vader is definitely more charismatic. Uh, Vader's an icon for yeah. a reason. I um, mean, not only that, like Maul doesn't really say much compared to Vader. No, no. In fact, this watching it for this podcast is one of the first times I could even remember his voice. Mm-hmm. And you know, spoiler alert: he does not sound what you think he would. Yeah. And now, but you know, the whole look, the whole gold dust look, the red and black looks, <laughs> makes him look awesome. Well, I do love that gold dust Dustin Runnels from WWE. Like his later day look in WWE was a gold and black version of, of the, this dark yeah. mall makeup. It was really cool. Which, by the way, again, we're wrestling fans, so any chance we get to bring up uh, the the Rhodes family in particular, we will. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like you know that the horns, the black, the red on black face paint, like he looks very original. He looks really cool, and you're like, holy shit, this guy's gonna fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's two Jedi, two like you, and you have this one Sith, but he looks like he can take both of them, no problem. Yeah. And the entire time that you're seeing uh, Queen Amidala with on Tatooine with the rest of these characters, she's not revealed as the queen yet. Like, no, not is, at all. This was actually a mystery that they held off for as long as possible, um, and it shocked me because even though I ha- I knew Natalie Portman was in this movie, I did not think the person wearing the makeup looked like her, and for good reason because there's a good chunk of this movie where it was Karen Knightley who was behind the makeup. So, we finish up the pod race. And honestly, if you haven't seen the pod race, it was freaking awesome. Go watch it on YouTube. Or if you go watch this movie, just skip to the action scenes, which include the lightsaber fights and this scene. But I honestly think that the pod race episode is one of the most action-packed scenes of this movie. Possibly, like, one of the coolest sequences of the new quote-unquote trilogy. Or the new word trilogy. Um, but yeah, you see a whole lot of action. There's a lot of like harrowing escapes or a lot of harrowing, uh, race scenes. They do a lot of, uh, there's a ramp where you, we where see Anakin ramp it and it looks fucking baller. Mm -hmm. But seriously, if you ever get a chance, go watch it. After Anakin actually manages to beat his rival and is able to win his freedom as well as win the final part for the Imperial ship, Qui-Gon and company are going to make, a you know, they're saying their goodbyes. Anakin says goodbye to Shmi. And on their way back to the ship so that they can finally fly to Coruscant. 
we have our first encounter between our heroes and our main villain. Or I'm sorry, not main villain, our antagonist. Our main antagonist of the film, which is Darth Maul. And right off the bat, we see that he is able to go toe-to-toe with the Jedi Knight absolutely no problem. And this is what you know worries Qui-Gon Jinn, that obviously this guy has training, obviously he's dangerous, and not only is his lightsaber dangerous, but the guy wielding it is just as skilled as any other Jedi you can think of. This kind of feeds into like a real pro- prevalent... Um, theme in the Star Wars series, which is that of balance, you know, for all the great good that some of these Jedi do, uh, there's also a great evil that comes with people who have, you know, done a lot of the same Jedi training under the dark side. Mm -hmm. And now it's important to note that it is said in a later scene that no matter how strong the Jedi order is, there is only ever two Sith Lords ever at one time. Yeah. And, and this is a recurring theme in Star Wars. It is always the rule of two uh, that carries the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. So, our heroes manage to get back to Coruscant. And Queen Amidala, before the Galactic Republic Senate, she advocates for the fact that they need to fight off, or that she advocates for the fact that the Trade Federation is essentially inciting a war. And if she were to go back to Naboo, they would force her to sign a treaty that will allow the Trade Federation control of Naboo and make their invasion of the planet essentially legal. She refuses and actually incites a vote of no confidence against the current chancellor. Mm. However, the chan- the senator from uh, Naboo, Palpatine, who represents the planet of Naboo, has been the one that's been telling her what she should do on the Senate floor. So, it was through his suggestion that she incites this vote of no confidence, which the Galactic Senate then appoints... Palpatine to be the new Chancellor of the Senate. Was this a scene that had a cameo from... E.T.? Your favorite alien ever? Okay, we actually really do need to review E.T. one of these days because I guess I'll reveal it here before we actually decide to review it later. I grew up with a horrifying fear of E.T. And I'm not alone in this. I discovered on the internet that there are a lot of like-minded people (laughs) who also grew up being afraid of E.T. So, for the rest of you E.T. truthers out there, (laughs) do not be afraid to come forward. Um, We will be the show for you. I will lead the way. (laughs) But in the meantime, uh, the nightmare scene inside this Senate (laughs) is that... Is that there's three fucking E.T. aliens from, you know, uh, from whatever the hell planet he's from. Which is the second time that these uh, kinds of properties have crossed over. Because they have the the gag in E.T. where there's a guy dressed in a Yoda costume. And E.T.'s trying to run towards him when he's under the ghost sheet. So don't you fear. Don't you live in fear anymore. You tell the truth. We will fight the E.T. menace together. (laughs) Oh, yes, but yeah, we get to see... Um, E.T. was the true Phantom Menace in this film. <laughs> he was the true Phantom Menace. 
And until next time, look up at the skis. <laughs> I mean skies. Oh, a little Simpsons reference for you. So, while in the meantime, while the Senate is debating their bullshit, it turns out that the Jedi Council is just as bureaucratic as the Senate. As Qui-Gon Jinn tries to advocate for the fact that he wants to train uh, Anakin because he believes that the boy is the fabled chosen one. The one that is supposed to establish balance and bring balance back to the Force. So, we see our first schism in the Jedi Order at this point. Where it is shown that Qui-Gon is kind of a radical mm. and he doesn't believe in the word of law of the Jedi. Well, it's important to note and remember, because we are starting here in the beginning, that the Jedi failed. The Jedi failed and the Jedi Order ended. And part of what makes A New Hope such a big deal is that Luke basically is the guy who brings upon the next great iteration of a forgotten bygone ideology. Yep. So, Qui-Gon offers to train Anakin himself, to which the, or, the Jedi Order refuses. However, he says he'll do it anyway. Uh, but in order to shut him up, they... The Jedi Order essentially gives Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon the order to go back with Princess... I'm sorry, I keep calling her Princess, sorry. They, to go back with Queen Amidala to Naboo to ensure her safety and make sure that they are able to um, defend her as she goes to fight back. And also, most importantly, defeat the Sith that is throwing in with the Trade Federation and find out why the trade or why there's a Sith Lord helping the Trade Federation. And it is at this point that we find out that there are Siths or there are only ever two Sith Lords. Um, the Sith had been long believed to be extinct, so that is why the Jedi Order is actually frightened to be dealing with another Sith Lord. Uh, it is at this point that on Naboo, Padme reveals herself. So they go and they confront the Gungans. By they, I mean the human, I guess. The humanoid Nabooians. Naboons. <laughs> that sounds so bad. <laughs> They're bright red asses. <laughs> I would love to think Natalie Portman presented her bright red ass. <laughs> Please don't do this to me now. It is too late. <laughs> Okay, so uh, the Naboons, they go to, they present themselves to the Gungans so that they can appeal to them to actually help they them. present that bright red ass <laughs> to the Gungans. So they go and they talk to the Gungans to try to, to try to uh, convince them to help out, repel the attack from the Trade Federation, be able to take the planet back. And as Queen Amidala, you know, tries the whole pomp and circumstance, is actually revealed that her handmaid, Padme, is actually the real Queen Amidala. And had actually been, in order to protect herself, had been, you know, pretending she's a, she's a, uh, just a simple handmaid. And she kneels before Boss Nass and the rest of the Gungans, begging for their help. And promising to unite both the amphibian and 
terrestrial, I guess, uh, societies of this planet, uh, being able to unite them and treat them as equals. And Boss Nass, taken taken aback by um, Amidala's willingness to not only work with the Gungans, but also treat them as equals, inspires him to lend his armies and his fighting force to be able to help repel the droids as well as the Trade Federation. So they concoct this plan to be able to fight off to or to start a battle with the droids. Meanwhile, the Naboons... <laughs> I fucking hate myself for coming up with that one. The Naboons are actually uh, going to attack the main capital in order to take back the... In order to take back the capital and reinstall Queen Amidala as the ruler of Naboo. So... There's a couple things that go on that really pissed me off. In this final, I guess, mm, quarter of the movie, we get Jar Jar Binks being promoted to general. (laughs) (laughs) What in the fuck did Jar Jar Binks do to prove he couldn't fight? (laughs) Didn't he get like farted on by a space camel? Yes, he did get farted on by a space camel. It was weird. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Is that not enough to get drafted by the army Apparent, of this planet? Apparently the Gungans really suck. And you The know Gungans the, really don't come off well in this movie. And you know what really sucks? Is that the Gungans' is like main weapon are these sticky balls that electrocute... That electrocute the droids and like shock them, and then it's like EMP grenades. Mm-hmm. But that's it. They have, even though they have those weird spears that can shock battle droids, it is so stupid that they only use these weird like EMP balls. And I'm just like, why? I feel like this is supposed to be a time of rel- of relative peace, right? Like this is before the Galactic Empire takes over. These are the very early stages of things changing to allow a galactic empire to rise to power. And you know what? You're right. Like, I actually agree with you. This is a time of peace. Because Queen Amidala, the whole reason why she's actually even able to get deposed is the fact that her entire fighting force are police and volunteer, like, guardsmen. There's no actual standing army. Naboo does not have a standing army aside from like their pilots. So that's one of the reasons why the Trade Federation is so easily able to take her out. That being said, the Gungans have actually been shown to have some sort of fighting force and have actual weapons. Why the fuck are they throwing glorified water balloons? That is stupid. And oh my god, that pissed me off to no end. And then you have dumbass Jar Jar Binks leading you. Like, if honestly, if I'm in battle and Jar Jar Binks is the guy I'm getting behind, I'm fucking kissing my ass goodbye. I am throwing my stupid balls on the ground and I'm walking away from this battle. Misa gonna save you, queen. <laughs> oh my fucking god, no. <laughs> also, so we get this lovely scene. So while, so while the Gungans are actually keeping the Trade Federation occupied, we have this scene where... Padme, our Jedi Knights, and the rest of their, I got like, police? All I know is there's Captain Kanapa, 
And the only reason I remember him is because I actually got a toy when I was a kid. Someone for a Christmas present or a birthday present gave me a Captain Kanapa toy. And I was like, who the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, what they end up doing is they put enough firepower together so that they can actually start a battle in, at the capital city. They go into the, in through the hangars so that they can take back the Nabu fighters. So that way the Nabu pilots can actually fly into space and take out the main droid control hub. That is like a weird space station, right? So as they're fighting their way through the hangars, the pilots start flying out. Qui-Gon orders Anakin and R2 to stay somewhere safe. Which apparently this little kid is like, oh, the safest place I can think of is a fighter jet. So he goes into the space in the starship. R2 gets loaded in and they stay there to, you know, and they're relatively safe. However, they get they show those roly-poly droids I, that we see one more time. So I'm a liar. We actually see them one more time in this movie. And they pin down Amidala and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. So Anakin manages to shoot a couple of the, these bad guys down. But his ship goes into autopilot and he shoots them off into space. And suddenly this kid is in a fucking dogfight where veteran combat pilots are getting shot down left and right. And he's just like, la 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 la. <laughs> I think the reason why I didn't have such a gigantic problem with this is that in the original trilogy, in the original Star Wars, uh, Obi-Wan is pretty clear to Luke that his father was a great pilot. Yeah, but Obi-Wan never says your pilot your dad was a great pilot at nine. The point of this movie is to connect <laughs> everything together. If you don't understand that, then you're not a true Star Wars fan. So anyway. While up there, Anakin is actually, for some fucking reason, thanks to plot armor and dumb luck, he's able to fucking shoot down the stupid shit. And is able to destroy the control of all these battle droids. Because, for some fucking reason, the Trade Federation thinks that, hey, there's no way they can shoot down the remote control that controls all our stupid robots, can there? Oh, but there is. And it's a nine-year-old boy. (laughs) So they end up destroying that, and he's able to fly back down. Meanwhile... Amidala is able to take out Vice, the, the Viceroy and she's able to take control back of the, of the capital city. But that leaves one more big bad that we have to worry about. And this is actually a really cool lightsaber fight. Where we have Darth Maul go 1v2 against two of arguably probably the best Jedi in the Jedi Order. Yeah. One of the best lightsaber battles in this entire series, by far. I put it in my top five. Angel goes so bold as to put it in his top three. Um, but it is a really cool fight scene. Like, it is very well choreographed. I think these three guys, every single, but all three of them need to be commended on how good this fight came out. Like, I felt that, you know, not, and not only that, you not only are you choreographing, which is essentially a dance, right? You're not just choreographing a fight, but then you're acting at the same time. And these three dudes, like, they are able to capture the emotion of what's going on, you know. So, eventually they go, they, they had to separate them. So they find the, there's a qu- cool little plot device where apparently, like, there's 
these weird laser doors that the guys are fighting through and it separates Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon has to fight Darth Maul by himself. And he ends up getting killed by Darth Maul in front of Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan could do nothing. And you really feel for him. Because the thing is, at this point, Obi-Wan is... They call him a Jedi Knight, but the reality is he's still a Padawan. Yeah. He's still being trained under Qui-Gon. So it's essentially... Imagine being a rookie cop, and you have essentially a mob boss with your vet partner, and your vet partner gets killed right in front of you. You're kind of fucked. So that's essentially what's going on here. Is that you should feel that Obi-Wan is in over his head, right? And he actually has, you know, we kind of see some anger out of him. He manages to cut Darth Maul's lightsaber in half. And ends, uh, and they end up fighting. But we see that um, Darth Maul has the... He ends up knocking... Obi-Wan's lightsaber down this pit and knocks him down before Obi-Wan falls to his death. He's able to save himself by grabbing like a weird platform on the edge. And this is where we see the beginning of something that comes back in episode three. And because for some reason, Darth Maul, like a jackass is just like hitting his lightsaber against the floor, making it spark up all cool and shit. Yeah. I think one of the most disappointing things about this is how, anticlimactic the ending of this battle is yeah it ends with him dying he wasn't really in the movie much uh he was all over the advertising so everybody knew what he looked like everybody wanted to get his action figures um and yeah it's just yeah it it was such like there was no payoff disappointing like introduction for a character that I think would have been able to carry his own film. And I'm kind of bummed to kill him. Yeah. (laughs) It was a huge wet fart because you're thinking he's going to be the next big bad, you know? But he's not. And Obi Wan manages to like throw himself up. He does a cool backflip over him, uses Qui Gon's lightsaber to cut Darth Maul in half and kick him down this pit. And I mean the you know the the thing that comes back is the fact that there's the the whole thing of the high ground that he has the high ground. <laughs> You'll see how that's important later on when we get to episode three. Mm-hmm. But you know, like it's a very unceremonious ending for what should be one of the greatest villains of the Star Wars saga. You know, so they are able the the story ends uh, and. I'm sorry, um, I was about to say A New Hope. Uh, the Phantom Menace ends with a Viking funeral for Qui-Gon Jinn. Mm-hmm. Not... He is killed during this battle, and it is shocking that he will never return in another future installment. Because he was such a good character. But he gets killed off um, rather unceremoniously. And I think that's what's really interesting about this film. This one in particular, all uh, those deaths are very unceremonious. Mm-hmm. So the film ends with Amidala taking back control of Naboo, becoming the, the queen once again. Uh, Qui-Gon having his uh, body at a mem- or, you know, burned at a s- memorial mm-hmm. service. And Obi-Wan agreeing to train Anakin and take him on as his pupil and his Padawan. 
And which this is a growing moment for Obi Wan as well, because mm-hmm. Obi Wan is now going to cross over from being in the Anakin role, in the apprentice role, to being the person who is guiding another Jedi. Mm-hmm. And with that, the first chapter of the Star Wars new trilogy comes to a rather anticlimactic end. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, what implications does this have for the greater uh, saga as a whole? As a first chapter, if this was the first movie you saw, well, I mean, it was mm-hmm. for you, what is the impression that gives you to expect moving forward? I didn't want to come back for this. Mm. I thought this was awful. I was not interested in coming back. The only reason why I came, I even came to episode two was because one of my cousins practically dragged me there. Uh, and With his just Star Wars fandom at that time, and I had no choice but to accept it and go with him. <laughs> um, it brought me back. So when we talk about it next week, I'll explain what it is about it that's made it kind of the movie of the prequel series for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this is, this is, it's the one I've watched the least. I don't think I'm going to go back to it very often more for as good as Liam Neeson is in the Qui-Gon Jinn role. Um, he, like you said, it was a very unceremonious death, uh, for the villain, the heroes. And I just think that this series is going to do much better. In my opinion, we're starting with the worst one right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can only go up from here. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I watch this movie, I feel like... And I forgot, there was a movie that... I think it was Jurassic Park 3. Where I kept referring to it as bullet points to a movie that are good on paper. But that don't necessarily work well together when you put them in a film, right? With this film, that's exactly how I felt. There was a lot of bullet points that were really cool that I felt you can expand on, and there's a lot there. And the big one being the Jedi and the Sith, the relationship, that balance, and the Force. Um, The political intrigue bullshit that goes on, that's... uh, You can't... If you're going to have a two-hour and 16-minute movie... An hour and 20 minutes cannot be people arguing in a fucking boardroom. No, and like I said, that's the part of it that just... I feel like I'm watching C-SPAN when I see some of these scenes. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested. They're talking about stuff that they can make sound important. But it's just... I'm not into the minutia of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I get it. You're trying to establish the world. Because for very much... um, a new hope takes place in in like in the middle of things, right? Like it's very much like this is what's going on. We're going to give you a quick introduction into the universe you're getting involved in. These are your main players. Enjoy the show. This one is like this is how your main players from what you like get to where they've gone. And there's a certain point where I'm like I don't need all this. Like you said, I don't need every single minute detail. I don't need to understand how they're com. I don't even understand how our complex, not so complex government works. Now you expect me to understand how fucking space government works. That's stupid. I'm not here for no civics class. I'm here to watch space battles. All right. I'm here to watch stupid Gungan fucking like fish people fight robots. (laughs) 
But yeah, it was uh, there. There was a lot. There was enough details to make me want to come back. But if honestly, if I were to watch this movie now, I'd be like, eh, I'm not gonna. Yeah, if I had no other context for Star Wars other than this movie, and I knew next year there was gonna be uh, Attack of the Clones, I'd probably skip. I'd probably skip on it. You know. Do you like Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace? The Phantom Menage? <laughs> no. I can't say I do. There is not enough in this movie to outweigh the bad. Uh, between the long lulls in action, between the over explanation of things, between the 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 two, every two minutes there being a side swipe to jump to a new scene that was very like unnecessary to cut to at that moment, I cannot say I like. There like there is parts that I like in this movie. And that I wish were fleshed out. And those parts definitely carry me over into like the next Star Wars film. But I cannot say I like The Phantom Menace. The Disney acquisition of Star Wars uh, basically made a lot of these movies null and void. Yeah. In some ways. like they're, I know that now they're slowly starting to bring in more of the mythology. And it looks like Episode Nine is going to try to bridge everything together for the first time. Um, since the new trilogy like started with Force Awakens. But um, Disney largely ignored some of these films. And outside of the nostalgia that I'm going to have for uh, the, you know, for Attack of the Clones, I don't think, I, you know, I think this early tr entire trilogy might be somewhat disposable. Um, that said, I think there are other ones that I like, and this one I do not. I am mm -hmm. not going to say that I enjoyed this. Um, I n almost never want to come back to it. I, <laughs> oh, shit. Like, I just never do. Like, when I'm watching my Blu-ray set of the prequels, I will watch two, I will watch three. I, I almost always skip one. It, there's just that. not enough about it outside of the pod race, which I was not kidding when I said I want pod race a Star Wars story. Please, please <laughs> make that happen, J.J. Abrams. Outside of a really cool villain in Darth Maul who wasn't in it very much... And a pod race that only took up one scene of the film. There's just not enough here to keep you coming back. Mm -hmm. um, at least me. I'm not going to return to this. Uh, and I'm going to continue watching this least of all the Star Wars films. Alright, so I think that about wraps up our dissection of The Phantom Menace. And as you can hear, the general consensus is, it, honestly, you can pass this one up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited that we're starting this journey into Star Wars. I know that, in my opinion, I think we're starting with the worst one. But it really is going to be an upward trajectory from here uh, with the rest of the films in the franchise. Uh, and I just am still very excited that this is the direction that we're going as a podcast right now. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for this project. I'm really excited about these movies. Uh, I'm really excited about having regular content and we don't have to rack our brains picking random sequels again. <laughs> and the other thing is too, I also wanted to take a second out to uh, thank everyone who's downloaded our Avengers Endgame review. That episode is doing major traffic uh, compared to the other episodes that we've done on this series. And I just really want to thank everyone who's been downloading it. And I also really want to thank everyone who's been putting in reviews on the platforms that they listen on. And also just interacting with us again, like we always say on social media. 
Um, I hope that you are willing to take this journey into the Star Wars films with us as we're doing this. So um, as the rules that we set up are, we next week we will be going back to reviewing a non-Star Wars film. And then the week after that, we'll be jumping into another Star Wars film. So one of the nice things about a series like this is that we can do an every other week uh, format review for the Star Wars series. Uh, because it's going to be nice to take a break from this and not burn ourselves out. <laughs> I know, because Jesus Christ, if I had to watch Star Wars movies every day or every week for the next couple of weeks, I would hate Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> So thanks again. Thanks for everyone that's reviewing, everyone that's supported, everyone that's watched. Uh, again, check us out on your platform of your choice. Google Play, Spotify, iTunes. We're on all three. Check us out on our Podbean account. Um, yeah, thank you everyone that pays attention and helps us keep doing what we're doing. So... We'll talk to you guys next time. Yep. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> yeah, because this is coming out on May the 4th. So may the force be with you, turds.